So last week we started talking about distractions. And I shared what I believe is a prophetic word for this house. That um, we are in a season where the enemy has plans of distraction for each of us. And if we are not aware, if we are not tuned in, that it will seem like normal life, normal things, that, and we won't put up a fight. And I believe that that is the strategy that for us, if it's so very easy to just cruise through the summer. You know, it seems like a very easy and natural way to handle the summer is to unplug, kids are out of school, vacation, have fun, do my own thing. And I, I feel strongly from the Lord that that is a warning for us not to unplug this summer. Now, vacation is a good thing. Rest is a part of God's plan for our life. Enjoying our families is a part of God's plan for our life, but being in cruise control and unplugging from your, your connection with the Lord, your connection with your family at church, your, it, that's not in the plan for you. It doesn't sit well with us as kingdom people, and I believe God is expressly telling us not to do that. And I believe it's because, again, we, we have something we should, we're preparing for feels like there's something that may be happening this fall as I shared before in the region as I speak to other pastors and leaders of ministry throughout the region there is a common buzz going that says you know what do you you feel something's going yeah this fall this fall this fall we feel that the Lord is is preparing us for something I don't know what it is but I believe that the Lord is is speaking to this house And telling this people, don't go on permanent vacation. And so last week we looked at some some distractions. And today I want to do the same. I want to look at a couple of more stories about distraction. And then I hopefully have enough time. I want to talk about how do we overcome distractions. Another, Another famous distraction is in Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 38, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now, I think this is a great story about distraction. Number one, simply because the word distracted is literally in the story. (laughs) I mean, that's just a no-brainer right there. And so... You know, I look, I'm I'm a smart guy, and I look for those key words like that, you know. Um, But I think there's something deeper that we need to look at. And here is Martha. We've got Martha. She's this hardworking gal. Um, 
I would say, I, I really believe, I think it's safe to say that she has the gift of hospitality because it said she opened her home to the Lord. I think acts of service is her love language. And I think she is doing her very best to do what she thinks she should be doing. And then we've got this little Holy Ghost hippie, Mary, who's just sitting around with Jesus, listening to him speak. And so Martha, just like, you know, all of us acts of service people, you know, just like we do, you know, we get upset when the little gypsy for Jesus isn't lifting a finger to help serve. (laughs) Right? We all feel that pain, don't we? Now, I've said this before about Martha, and I'm going to say it again. When Jesus confronts Martha, he does not correct her behavior. He corrects her heart. He, 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 he never tells her what you're doing is wrong. Jesus never tells her that what she's doing is bad. And what he does is he confronts her anxiety. So let's not condemn Martha for living her values of hospitality and servanthood. We have to focus on what this passage is trying to teach us. So when it comes to distractions, and in order to avoid them, we have to know what season we are in. You might want to write that down if you're taking notes. To help us avoid distractions, we have to know what season we're in. It's very, to, it's, it's very, very easy for us to think that our favorite season to be in is always the right season. Some of you, it's summer. We're living for the summer. The thing is, is when we live like that, we make the error that Martha made. We think it's always the season for doing what we enjoy most. Anybody but me feel that way? It's always time for me to have fun. It's always time for me to do the things that I love to do. It's the thing that comes most easy for us. And, and, and maybe it's, it's like, Mar- you know, maybe it's working with your hands. Maybe uh, you love putting in lots of hours at your job for the big money that you're earning. Or maybe it's growing your business. It's the season you're always in. Maybe it's your weekends and you, and you think it's always yours to decide what to do with your fun me time. Whatever your favorite mode or season is to be in, the danger is not recognizing when Jesus wants you to shift. Did you hear what I said? The danger is not listening and knowing when Jesus says shift. In the story of Mary and Martha, we have the very the very Messiah that has been prophesied to save the whole world sitting in their living room. Guess what season Martha should be in right now? It's the season of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, to be fair to everyone, just because you love sitting and soaking like Mary 
in the presence of Jesus all the time, it doesn't exclude you from seasons of serving. Okay? Come on, we're going to be equal opportunists here. It's because you're a gypsy for Jesus doesn't mean it's always gypsy time. Sometimes you need to get up and help in the nursery. There's always a time. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And I believe Jesus was saying to Martha that, that this is a time for you to be sitting at my feet and learning from me. Because there's coming a time when Jesus won't be with them in bodily form. And that means the season will be shifting again. Now, this story, I believe, it's teaching us that distractions can happen through the things we love doing the most. And I realize that, you know, some of you may be saying things like, well, I don't love my job. I don't love driving everywhere for my kids' sports and activities. Or, No, I, I realize we don't maybe love the work, but we love the money. We love the entertainment of watching our little ones scamper about a field or across the floor. <laughs> we love that stuff. We love the entertainment of it. Luke 12, 34 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what I want to say is, does your treasure lead you? And is it always telling you what season you're in? Or can Jesus break in and shift you into a different season? We can be distracted with stuff that seems like a good thing to be doing. We talked about that list of things that how to tell you're in distraction. Settling for good instead of great is one of them. Now I want to look at a different, another distraction. It's in Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So as we 
as we consider how the enemy has plans to distract us, I think it's very encouraging to me to see how Jesus navigated such strong distractions. In fact, the Bible calls these temptations. Many distractions from the enemy will come in the form of a temptation. In this story of Jesus being tempted, we can see that everything the devil offered him was not necessarily sinful in nature. Right? I mean, he's, he's testing Jesus on his relationship with God. Oh, you know, God's your father. He's going to take care of you. You know, go ahead and pray for this miracle thing to make some bread out of rocks, you know? In fact, he used scripture. He used the Bible. If, you know, you're like me and you read this story, you know, it, to me, it, 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 everything that he offered him, it seemed like a promotion. It seemed like a, a, an upgrade. Now, it seems obvious that we would follow in the example of Jesus because the story tells us that the devil was tempting him. And again, who would be you know, dumb enough to accept an offer from a guy in a red bodysuit and pitchfork? Or, right? Oh, I'd, I'd pass that test. Here comes the devil. <laughs> I want to burn your soul. You know? Because we're all saying, I'd have no problem if the devil was trying. I mean, the literal devil was trying to distract me. I'd have no problem. Well, you realize that the word temptation means that Jesus considered the offer. That's what temptation is. He thought about it. Jesus was tempted, which means he considered each of these distractions the devil was offering him. I think about it. You're starving. You've been hanging out in the desert forever. How weak and broken down you are emotionally, mentally, physically. But see, this is why Jesus is our perfect example of living set apart for God. I love what Hebrews 4 verse 14 says. So since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what are we going to learn from this story? What are we going to learn from the distractions that are in this parable, this story of Jesus? Well, first, if you're taking notes, distractions can show up in my appetites. In this story, Jesus has literal hunger and thirst, and the devil knows it, and he's working through his hunger. Now, we all have appetites as well. And not all of them are hunger and food related. 
We have appetites for food. We have appetites for sex. We have appetites for entertainment, for relationship and success and fulfillment and love and justice, freedom. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. We are all metaphorically hungry for something. And heaven and hell know our appetites by how we spend our time and our money. You and I are being studied minute by minute by those in the unseen realm. And a supernatural profile is being created on your shopping habits. What you read, what you watch on TV, what you look at online, how you spend your time and money. And based on the years of perfect data that's being collected on us. I mean, this is not like, you know, I was searching for, you know, cat videos and all of a sudden cat videos show up in my feed. I mean, this is perfect data that's being collected. And we are being offered distractions from the enemy centered on our appetites that are designed to get you off course. I mean, if you think Facebook and Google are monsters of data collection and manipulation, I'm telling you, they're just figuring out how to do what the kingdom of darkness has been doing for millennia. Every temptation and distraction from the enemy is a tailor-made experience that is built on our hunger and our appetites, good or bad. Now, Jesus was literally hungry for food, and, and we all need food to live, right? Food is good when it's used for fuel. But see, the enemy took that legitimate need he had and perverted it in an, into an opportunity for sin. So, number one, the enemy will distract you with your appetites. I've already said it, I'm going to say it again. The enemy will distract you with your appetites. Second, you can learn from this story. The enemy will try to distract us by appealing to our pride and twisting of Scripture. Now you realize again, the devil was quoting Scripture to Jesus when he said, throw yourself down, because the Bible says God will lift you up. The Bible, you know, the, here's the thing we don't realize. The devil knows the word of God better than all of us. He knows every line. Everything there is in there. But when he uses the Bible, it is to distract us and it's to deceive us. Now, remember when I said earlier, one of the ways of being distracted is through false teaching. That was last week's pod, you know, if you didn't get to hear the teaching last week, go to our podcast and you can hear it. But one of the ways we get distracted is through this thing of false teaching. And the devil loves to distract us with lots of Bible verses taken out of context. Or just misused and abused altogether. 
I mean, I've heard people say things and quote Bible verses from the Bible to justify all kinds of behavior. I've heard people quote Bible verses to justify greed, laziness, pride, ignorance. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so if the enemy can get us to twist Scripture into some man-made kind of doctrine, then we are successfully distracted. And then add to that pride of being unteachable, right? The pride of being unteachable, uncorrectable, and we have a perfect formula for being distracted and getting out of the will of God. So secondly, again, the Bible, the enemy will use the Bible to distract us with false teaching. And so the last thing from this story that I want us to learn is that the enemy will try to distract us through false promotion. Now this distraction is a very tough one to identify. And the reason, one reason... I think it's hard to identify is due to all the error that we have surrounding prosperity teaching in the charismatic church world. See, we have convinced ourselves that every promotion is from God. That every job upgrade, every time they offer more hours, every time they offer more money, that it must be from God. Jesus, see, here's the thing. Jesus knew that one day he would rule the nations. He knew it was coming. But he also knew it wouldn't come through bowing down in worship to Satan. And listen, it takes a highly humble and undistracted heart to turn down promotion that isn't from the Lord. And because so many have a twisted understanding of prosperity and, and it just it makes us vulnerable to this kind of temptation. I mean, I have watched so many people in the 20 years of pastoring that they make a decision that they think is a promotion from the Lord only to watch their lives go down in flames because they were chasing money or status. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? False promotion is one way the enemy will try to get us off track. So, how are we going to overcome how are we going to overcome the distractions and the temptations of the enemy? If you're taking notes, I believe the answer is in the biblical principle of putting first things first. A guy by the name of E.M. Gray spent his life searching for that one trait that all successful people share. And he wrote an essay, and it was titled, The Common Denominator of Success. 
And in this essay, he revealed um, successful people's common characteristic was not hard work, not good luck, or not astute human relations. Now, he said that's all very important, but the one factor that seemed to rise above all of the rest, that seemed to transcend, was the habit of putting first things first. And so what he observed was, and and what he said, this is his quote, he says, the successful person has the habit of doing the things that failures don't like to do. He wasn't, this was before PC culture, by the way. He wasn't the success challenged. The successful person has the habit of doing the things that failures don't like to do. They don't like doing them either, necessarily. But their disliking is subordinated to the strength of their purpose. So in other words, successful people, according to all the research he did, successful people do the things that unsuccessful people do not like to do. Successful people have a habit of putting first things first. So, when I read stuff like that, I go, okay, so what is a first thing? Well, they're all over the Bible. And I want to start with the very biggest first thing there ever was and there ever will be. It's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Yeah, say amen to that. Now, in Mark and Luke, in their Gospels, they add the word strength. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The very most important, tippy-top, king-of-the-hill, first thing that we have to grasp is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is number one priority for your life every minute of every single day. It must be the priority that you put the first and greatest commandment first in our lives. And even King David knew this. In fact, he said in Psalm 27, verse 4, he said, One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David discovered the secret to success in life is his in, in, in his life, in his kingship, in his conquest of every enemy that he faced in life. He, he recognized, he found out that even though David wasn't a perfect guy, <laughs> we read that last week for sure, David wasn't a perfect guy, but the thing he did do right was love God first. 
He put his love and devotion of God first. He made first things first by loving God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and all of his strength. And God knew it. God noticed because he said of David, he said, this is a man who is after my own heart. So, maybe you're asking right now, so I just go around my day all day just saying, I love God all day, is that it? I love God, I love God, I love God, I love God. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, God, I love you. Yes and no. Yes, we all should have a habit of verbally, verbally expressing love and affection and thanksgiving and awe and respect to God. That should be a daily habit. And the affection of your heart is included with loving God with all of your heart. Having affectionate for the Lord, having affection for God, feeling his love, loving him with love. That is in the the package. But loving God first includes other types of firsts as well. And a very, very important first, I think, is Matthew 6, verse 33. It says, Seek first. Everyone say, seek first. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to me. Loving God first includes seeking his kingdom first. Now, this is a very powerful verse to quote, but not always an easy one to live. I mean, it's, we all, you know, as soon as you say it, you can start rattling it off because we've, we've heard it a lot. It's like, first his kingdom is righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's part of a great big old chapter about stop worrying about everything. Stop worrying about what you're going to wear. Stop worrying about food. Stop worrying. God loves you more than the animals and the birds and the grass. He's got you covered. Stop worrying about it. But seek first the kingdom. It's the end of that passage. Seek God's kingdom. Seek his righteousness first. All this stuff you're going to find, you'll get it. It's coming. So loving God first is seeking his kingdom first. Putting first things first by seeking the kingdom of God first will affect every decision you make in life. Seeking the kingdom first is tied to loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. So when we put First things first, by loving God and seeking his kingdom first, it affects how we work. It affects how you spend your free time. It affects how little or how much we participate in a local church. It affects what you watch online or on TV. It affects how we raise our children. It affects how, much, how you love your friends. It affects how you love your spouse. 
affects how you earn money and how you spend that money you earned. It affects what kind of employee you're going to be. It's going to affect what kind of employer you're going to be. It affects how you spend your time and your money. It affects everything. Seeking first the kingdom should be informing every decision. Is how I'm behaving at work today, seeking the kingdom. Am I loving God with all of my heart right now? With all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength? Or are you embarrassed to let anybody know you're a Christian? Paul talks about distractions in a very special and unique way in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Hey, he's talking about Matthew again. He's, he's very specific. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, the point of this passage is not to say marriage is terrible. Some of you may be going, amen. And we're going to meet with you because you are not ending this marriage one more time. We are not doing this. He's not saying marriage is terrible, just, you know, it's terrible, terrible. But this passage is part of a larger passage where Paul is talking about marriage and the responsibilities we have if we are married and the benefits of remaining single. That's what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to say, man, there is a great benefit if you will stay single like me. And again, he's not saying that marriage is terrible and you should get out of it so you can be devoted to God. That's twisting scripture. I can't serve God because my husband won't. I just need to divorce him so I can give myself to the Lord. Eh. Wrong. Doesn't happen that way. It's twisting of the word. So what Paul is saying is that marriage can be a distraction from our undivided devotion to the Lord. And listen, I remember those single days, as all of us do. You know, when I first devoted my life to the Lord, I was available 24-7 to do ministry. In fact, I did it sometimes. I was part of 24-hour worship Things where we just stayed up day and night and just worshiped the Lord and prayed and did a three-day event one time. I was able to give, when I was single, I was able to give most of my time to advancing the kingdom of God. So I want to challenge our single people. What I want to say 
is that you have the potential to be leading as forerunners and advancing the kingdom like no other person. You have more free time than any of us. You have more energy than most of us. You know, before I was 25, I had led over 100 youth to the Lord. I was a soul-winning machine because I could give everything I had to advancing the kingdom. And when I was 25, I got married. And at exactly the same time, um, you know, me, Eric, Sam Lunt, and a handful of others, we started this church. Same year I got married. And yeah, I was married and I was focused on pleasing my wife, Michelle. We were trying to figure out how to do life together. It was rough and ugly. <laughs> the toilet paper does go on the outside, not from underneath. <laughs> Come on, don't make me preach it. <laughs> don't make me preach. You're going to learn today. I fixed a toilet roll in that back bathroom this morning. I'm like, what abomination is this thing? So yeah, I was trying to please my wife, but the beautiful thing is that we were serving God together as a couple. And so together, we were in the process of building our youth ministry. I was in the process of, of not only doing that, building a youth ministry, but also building our worship ministry. And I was responsible for our outreach ministry. Created all of our brochures to inform people of who we are and what we did. And I created our publications, all that stuff. Because I was just me and her. So here's my challenge to all you empty nesters. If you've got children that are grown and moved out, or maybe you couples that are young and you haven't started a family yet, you have a great opportunity to put first things first, seek first the kingdom, and give your lives to the gospel. Listen, it's not time to retire. It's not time to go on permanent vacation. It is time to refire. And listen, our empty nesters are positioned to be the very spiritual moms and dads in this house. And we need you desperately to father and mother this coming movement of the youth that's coming. Of youth. You know, when I was 30 years old, we had our first baby, little Ben-Ben, <laughs> little baby Ben-Ben. A few months after we had Benjamin, I got ordained as an elder over this house. A few months after that, I left my management position at OfficeSource, and I went full-time here at New Covenant, full-time to seek the kingdom of God here at this house. You know, and as a church, we are full of young families. We are full. And I, you know, it's like 
We believe in raising up the next generation so much that many of us have decided to try and single-handedly multiply the next generation. <laughs> I mean, we are devoted <laughs> to raising up the generation. And in this house, Young married families with multiple children accomplish most of the ministry. In fact, the people with the least amount of time and space probably doing 80% of the kingdom work in this house. And for that, I am very grateful. I am very grateful. You know, at the first of the year, we celebrated. We have like over 100 people serving in some capacity here. That's an amazing testimony. And while we should celebrate our success and, and celebrate those achievements, we cannot rest on those successes. And so my challenge to our families is to not assume that everything that seems good is from God. Even as families, we are distracted many times by every opportunity that comes our way or our children's way. We just think it's all there. We've got to do it all. Fact is, American families are on a breakneck pace. And our children are paying the price. And the quality of our home life is paying the price. And as families, guess what? We still have a responsibility to put first things first. To love God above our mother and our father. To put God and love him above our brother and our sister. To love God above my son or my daughter. We still have a responsibility to seek first the kingdom and we can't live on yesterday's accomplishments. We can't coast on the sacrifices of last year or even last week. Putting first things first is a daily habit. It is a daily habit that we, every one of us, have to develop. Seeking first the kingdom has to become a righteous routine that we develop within our families. You know, the book of Haggai which is in the Old Testament. It's an amazing book about putting first things first. And I just, I encourage you to just read that whole book. It is not very long. It is the second shortest book in the whole Old Testament. I mean, you can literally read it in under five minutes. But Haggai chapter one, verse two says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does not put them, who does, 
does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Busies himself with distractions, distractions, distractions. I believe there comes a point when getting ready means being ready. Getting ready, I believe, it has to translate and transfer into, I am ready. And I think the hour is upon us in which we must be ready. And again, I don't know what could happen over our, our region, over our state this fall. But are we ready? If revival breaks out in our schools like it's been prophesied? Are we ready for people to visit our business who need physical healing or deliverance because they've come in and the presence of God is so thick? Are we ready to minister to those people? Really? Are we ready to disciple an army of youth and young people who know nothing about God, nothing about the kingdom that we are all to be seeking first? Listen, the enemy is on the warpath to distract us with entertainment and self-centered living. Warpath to distract us with entertainment and self-centered living. And I believe God is calling the army to attention and get ready for a move. It's time to get off the couch and into the battle. Listen, we don't have time to not be with the family of God. We don't have time not to show up at church and get equipped and readied and prepared. We don't have time for that. It's not a luxury for us kingdom seekers. We don't have time to not disciple others and be discipled. We don't have time to, to wait. Well, I'll get mature one day and I'll do it. You don't have time for that anymore. We don't have time to chase after greed and selfish pursuits. None of these sit well with us. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in our life. It doesn't work in our, our pursuit of the kingdom. And our souls are in anguish over a starvation of the word of God and the presence of God. Time of getting ready, I think, is wrapping up. You know, it's going to be three years this October since we received the 10 get ready prophecy. Now guess how long it took Jesus to get 12 guys ready to turn the whole world upside down. About three years. In Psalm 139, verse 16, the Bible says that there is a book that's written about each one of us. And when I look at my book, into my life, 
and it says, summer of 2018, Tom was called by the Lord to put aside distractions and put first things first. I really don't want it to say outcome. Tom ignored the call and did what was right in his own eyes. Every area of our lives is up for possible distraction. But in this house, we are a house of kingdom seekers. We are a people who put first things first. This is a house who hears the word of the Lord and obeys it. And so Eric and I and the prophetic team are seeking the Lord about calling a corporate fast for our church. I don't have the details yet, but I just know we're to head in that direction. And my family, we're doing a media fast. And that means no TV, no YouTube, no Facebook, no Pinterest, no Snapchat, no Instagram, no Xbox. All forms of digital entertainment and distraction are going away so that we can put first things first as a family. So that we can be in preparation for what could be coming. And if we end up feeling something else for our church, we'll do that as well. Don't know what it looks like, but I do know God is calling us to fast and pray this summer as a whole church. You can't hope that someone's going to do it for you. Everyone, we've got to participate. And you have a choice. You've got free will. You can do as much or as little as you want. It's between you and God. But I feel God's calling us all to pray, to fast, and to prepare. It's time to identify the distractions, put up a fight, and get some breakthrough. Identify the distraction, put up a fight, and get breakthrough. So if you're here today and you're stirred in your spirit, you feel like I need to get off the couch and get into the battle, if you're ready to put away distractions, put first things first, and I'm just going to ask you to stand up with me right here. As we close in prayer. just pray father just say god we want to say yes to your call we want to say yes to the season we want to say yes to being ready to be a people who are ready for the lord a people who are ready for the coming of the lord We sing that song, make ready your hearts, make ready your homes, make ready the people of God. 
God, we pray that we, God, would become, that we would be made ready, that we would not wait for getting ready and getting ready tomorrow and maybe next year or maybe next month and maybe when the fall, maybe when things aren't crazy anymore. Things are never going to not be crazy. So give up that lie and get ready. Father, we pray, get us ready. God, help us to identify the distractions. Help us to fight the distractions until we have breakthrough, Father. And so, Father, we just ask that you would just give us the power of the Holy Spirit to withstand the temptations and the distractions of the enemy. Let the word of God be our fuel. Let it be our sword. Let it be what we fight with. As we go and we prepare ourselves, God, as we engage and as we participate with you. God, help us today. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We just invoke that, just heaven come down right now, God. Just heaven come down right now upon us. God, just come and, and, and bathe us in your presence, God. We just ask you right now, speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts, God, that we would put all distractions away. We would seek first the kingdom and your righteousness, knowing everything will be added to us. So we just say again, God, we love you. We awe and respect you, God. We will let you be Lord in our lives. We will worship you with our choices and with our decisions, God. So we just say thank you, God. We love you. We praise you. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. So, Father, we just pray right now, God, a blessing over the graduations that are happening today. We bless this generation who are moving into the next stage of life. God, we pray that they would rise up to be warriors and servants in the kingdom of heaven. We bless every senior, God, to walk in the counsel of heaven. So we celebrate, God, their transition. We bless them, we bless them, we bless them, God. In the mighty, awesome, powerful name of Jesus. Everybody says, amen.